Well, my name is Nicole Martin, and I am delighted and honored and overjoyed to hopefully share some words with you that God has put on my heart. I'm so excited again to be here. The scripture reading has already taken place. It's Jeremiah chapter 20. Um, I'm going to just read it once again to get the word kind of within us, and then we'll continue in our time together. Does that sound all right? Yeah. Amen. My Baptist wants a response. I'm like, is that okay? <laughs> Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord, Jeremiah chapter 20, beginning at verse 7. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name. His word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whisperings, terror on every side. Denounce him, let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord, the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have committed my cause. As we prepare our hearts for this amazing remainder of the week, I want to share compelled by the call. Compelled by the call. Let us pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for this amazing, sacred gathering. Thank you, Lord, for all that we've brought into this space, all of our strengths and our gifts and our callings, all of our uniqueness and our diversities of faith. Thank you, God. And we pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us to lay some things down. God, some of us come in today weary, some of us come in tired, some of us come in burdened, and some of us come in with so much on our hearts. But we trust that you will allow us to lay all things down at your feet, to be open to your word in a way that might shape us and change us and strengthen us for what's ahead. So we pray that your word would not return to you void, that you would do what you would accomplish for our lives. And even before you do it, we say thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your grace. In your name we pray, amen. amen, amen. There are so many misconceptions about leadership in the world today. Some people think leadership is all about your title or your position. Some people think real leadership is about how much money you have or the wealth that you bring into your call. Some people think leadership is something that everyone has. Everyone can be a leader. Other people say you have to work hard to be a leader and leadership is a hazing process and only a few will make it through. And don't get me started about the misconceptions of women in leadership. I pause for a small amen. While most of us have jumped this hurdle of what it means to be a woman in leadership, all of us dwell in concepts with people who don't quite yet understand. Yes. 
Some people think women only lead when it's in the context of the home. Others think the only valid place for women to lead is in the marketplace. Some people think women should only lead from the side, please and thank you. Others think women need to take the charge and the only respected leadership is at the head. Are leaders only leaders when we shepherd women or are we only leaders when we can shepherd the hearts of men? Is our leadership authenticated by the academy or is it authenticated by the institution of the church? If we're not careful, we who have embraced this wonderful call to lead can find ourselves polarized by the various descriptions and misconceptions of the leadership we have. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves lost in defining who we are and forget who made us who we are. And remember, the, f the final and most important word on leadership comes from God. If we're not careful, when we get caught up and tossed in the definitions of leadership, we will forget that leadership is a calling from God. And it does not matter what a church or denomination says. It does not matter what men or women say. It does not matter what the academy or an institution says. Leadership is a calling from God. And I believe that God is raising up for such a time as this women who are called to lead. Women who are called to lead in the home and in the marketplace. Women who are called to lead in the institution and in the academy. Women who are called to lead from the side and charge from the front. I just believe it in my heart that God has called us for such a time as this. And as God is calling us up, God is raising us to not be intimidated by the systems at work against us. Because if you didn't know it already, there are just a few systems at work against you. There's the system at work against our young girls, forcing them to focus more on how they look than on what they put inside. There's a system at work against us that when we take bold steps ahead, there's always some voice that tries to push us back. And the worst things about these systems are not the things that they say out here, but the impact that it has in here. And after this series of microaggressions, the worst thing for a woman leader is to start to believe the junk that the enemy tries to feed us. When the outside becomes the inside, that's when leaders ought to fear. And this is exactly what's happening in our society today. I love the theme of our time together because we are indeed leading in times of division and fear. And the worst part about these times, my sisters, is not what happens in politics. It is not what happens in our denominations. It is when all of that stuff gets in here. Because when women begin to internalize the issues that divide us, when we begin to internalize the fear, then we become who people say we are. And if God is the one who calls us, then only God gets the right to define us. This is what I love about our text today. Jeremiah is like the quintessential prophet because he was indeed called in a time of division and fear. Talk about a salmon. I mean, really. Jeremiah is the salmon swimming up the stream. Everybody says it's going to be okay. Jeremiah says you're all going to hell. Well, not exactly, <laughs> but certainly going to Babylon. 
I mean, everyone says, don't worry, just be fruitful and pro prosper. Jeremiah says, no, be barren, because we're all going to die. And really, he does say this awful message. And if there's ever a time to test the calling of God, it is when we are called to say something that causes us to swim like salmon upstream. And if we are preachers of the gospel, the gospel is not going with the flow of culture. We are called to be salmon, to be spiritual salmon. Maybe we'll have salmon for dinner, but we are called. I'm slightly digressing, but we are called to be gospel warriors that will minister a gospel that is not going with the flow of culture. And that requires a certain layer of DNA within us. So as we ask this question, like, what does it look like to lead in a time of division and fear? I believe this text, the story of Jeremiah, gives us just a few hints at how we can live and lead in a way that honors God. And the first thing that we learn about this type of leadership from Jeremiah is the fact that godly leaders have to lead knowing that we are divinely deceived. Godly leaders must lead with an understanding that in some way we are divinely deceived. Look at how Jeremiah opens this portion of the scripture. He says, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me, and, I, and you prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day. Haven't you been where Jeremiah is here? God, every time I try to do your will, it feels like I'm fighting against the goads. Every time I try to speak your word, every time I speak up for what I believe you're calling me to do, I feel like I get pushed back five more steps. Jeremiah, I believe if he were here with us now, what he's saying is kind of like, if I knew then what I know now, I might not have said yes when you called. If I knew then what I know now, I might not have said, let it be unto me as you have said. Isn't that how you first felt about seminary? If I knew then, when I was applying, what I know now in the classroom, and, and, and in some way, I recognize that God has orchestrated this bit of deception. Because if we did know what it took to lead when we first accepted the call, most of us would have said, thank you very much, but no thanks. It's actually what I said to my husband the first time he asked me out. No, thank you. <laughs> So nice of you, how sweet. No, no thanks. But the calling of God can feel like that. The immediacy, if we knew at the time of the call what we were getting into, we would not have recognized what God was calling us to do. But perhaps God allows a little bit of deception in order for us to go where he wants us to go. Because if we did know then what we know now, we would not have stepped into the place where God needs us. And part of this deception happens in our lives because I believe there are some things you don't need to know until you go where God is calling you to go. Real leadership, true leadership says, God, I'm okay with a little bit of rose-colored glasses as long as I can follow you. I'm okay with the hardships as long as I know you've got my back. And so every leader, Jeremiah suggests, has to operate with a little bit of divine deception. And here's the best part of this deception. 
While our deception is focused on our short-sightedness, God is never deceived. He knew who we were when he called us. He understood our faults and our weaknesses when he called us by name. He knew our issues and our insecurities, and he still said, I want you to go. And while we might struggle with a little bit of deception, God says, I know exactly who you are, and I'm still calling you to go. So maybe he deceived us so that we would say yes, but our deception does not belong to God. God is never deceived. So godly leaders, Jeremiah suggests, have to operate with a tiny bit of divine deception because sometimes you don't need to know it all in order to go. But secondly, godly leaders, Jeremiah suggests, have to operate with a tiny bit of divine discontent. Jeremiah says, if, if I say I will not mention his word or speak his name anymore, his word is in my heart like fire. Fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Jeremiah reflects that the calling of God will always include an element of pain. And my sisters, I have prayed about this for a long time. God, is there any way that we can get through this without it being so painful? God, is there any way that I can draw closer to you without a crisis? I promise I'll come. I promise I will pray without being severely depressed. I promise I will. But there is an element of leadership that also requires a comfortability with pain. Sometimes that pain happens inwardly because real leaders, true leaders, are never truly content. We are never okay with the status quo. We want to push against that. We're never okay with success as it is. We want success as it can be. We're never okay knowing that things are okay where they are. We're always thinking about the next step. And this pain is not just inward like fire in our bones, it's also outward with the taunting of his friends. Jeremiah didn't have anybody he could talk to. And any good leader knows that it is lonely at the top. And sometimes it's lonely at the bottom. And in this text of, of Jeremiah is talking about the pain of trying not to go where God wants him to go, but also the pain of what happens when you get there. And that can I just say, my sisters, one of the joys of this time together is that God has a way in fellowship of easing our pain. That when we talk with each other, when we share our testimonies, when we listen to each other's stories, we recognize that we don't hold divine discontent by ourselves. We share divine discontent. We share some collective pain. And when we recognize in the sharing that we have the same pain, we can move forward in a togetherness to press forward through that pain. Divine discontent could be the fertilization of our souls. That there, is, there ought to be a little bit of something in you that says I've got to press beyond what is to make it to something that's not there. And that leads to what I believe might be a hint at what Jeremiah is suggesting for leaders in this text. Not only are godly leaders divinely deceived, not only are uh, godly leaders divinely discontent, but godly leaders, Jeremiah would suggest, are also divinely driven. We are driven by something larger, bigger, and way beyond ourselves. He says in verse 11, but the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors were stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. And then he continues, give praise to the Lord, sing to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. I love this portion of scripture because sometimes when you're reading Jeremiah, you have to look for the tiny bits of light. 
This weeping prophet offers us a tiny bit of light in this chapter. And this tiny bit of light centers around the companionship of God. And it centers around the companionship of God as mighty warrior. In other words, Jeremiah recognizes that even though it feels like he's fighting losing battles on one hand, he's fighting with a God who promises to win the war in the end. Jeremiah realizes that even though there are days where I feel like I'm hitting my head against the wall, I do so with a God who walks with me and promised, keep going because in the end, you will win. Jeremiah shows us that leaders are driven by a divine destiny. And that destiny is never limited by what we can see. Real leaders, godly leaders, are driven by an image of what we cannot see, by a vision of what we cannot imagine, by a calling that goes way beyond after we'll be gone. And true godly leaders will press until we can't press anymore. They will move until we cannot move any further. They will drive until, until we cannot drive anymore. Because godly leaders recognize that our work is not about what's on this side. Our work is about what happens when we get to the other side. And I want to just encourage you today that if it feels like you are hitting the wall, if it feels like the divisions around you feel a bit too much to bear, keep the eternal goal in mind because Jeremiah says it's worth it in the end. I was reading the story of Amelia Earhart. You know her. She was the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic. Amelia Earhart faced all kinds of scrutiny. She was scrutinized by what she wore. She was scrutinized by the way she walked. She was even scrutinized by the food that she ate. She was criticized by the marriage that she had. She wrote a letter to her husband the day before their marriage and said, let me remind you, this is partnership, and I want to do what I want to do, and you will do the same. Amelia Earhart was a forerunner and a pioneer in what it meant to be called to lead, but it didn't always look like she was going to win. And when she was interviewed once and asked how it, how it was possible for her to press forward toward the goal, she gave this amazing quote. She said, sometimes you have to decide whether or not the goal is worth the risks involved. If it is, she says, then stop worrying and do the work. And I want you to know, as we consider Amelia Earhart, we hear in her words the words of our foremothers. We hear the words of Katie Cannon, who once stood in this sanctuary and declared encouragement for our souls. We hear the words of Jarena Lee, who was the first African-American woman ordained. We hear her words, and those words say, keep going. Don't stop now. Keep driving, because the reward of eternal life is worth it because the reward of our daughters accepting the call is worth it. The reward of seeing people come to Jesus is worth it. And just when you feel like giving up, the reward lives in Jesus Christ. Jesus alone was divinely deceived but never deceived because he was God. Jesus 
alone was divinely discontent, never satisfied with life as it was. And Jesus alone was divinely driven, driven past the cross, driven to the grave. And as my Baptist preacher in me says, on the third day he rose with power in his hand. And that same power lives in you. So keep pressing amid the divisions. Keep pressing in the midst of your fears because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And let the church of Jesus Christ say, Amen. Amen.